We're going to see this morning how to enter the new year without fear. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. We're going to talk about the new year. We're going to talk about how to face it without fear. You know, fear brings panic. As I started preparing this message, I thought of that quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Fear brings panic. It causes us to think. It causes us many times to act in a very irrational manner when we get afraid. Fear paralyzes. And eventually, if we're not careful, fear will both imprison and it will enslave us as a people. But you know, God said something in 2 Timothy 1.7 that I have liked for a long, long time. And that is this. The scripture says, the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. I love that. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. If we fear, God didn't do it. That word fear talks about moral cowardice. It talks about timidity. And you know, I think fear is one of the things that keeps God's people on a daily basis from witnessing of Jesus Christ. We're afraid of how people may react. We're afraid of what people might say. We're afraid of what people might do if we try to tell them about the Lord. And so fear has shut our mouths. But God didn't give us that spirit. In fact, if you look at another word in that verse, it is a total opposite of fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Of power. What is power? It's dynamic ability. That word that is translated power is the word from which we get our word dynamite. Every child of God just ought to be a stick of dynamite in this world. Go out with the power of God, the dynamic ability to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard about some men that were in an old ship and on a stormy sea. And one of the sailors came to the captain. And he said, Captain, tell me, are we going to sink? And the captain said, well, I'll put it this way. The boilers on this ship are old and they could explode at any moment. The ship itself is old and she's taking on water. The sea is rough. He said, we may go up, we may go down, but nevertheless, we're going to go on. And folks, that's the way we need to be about this coming year. We may go up. Jesus may come back in this coming year and we'll go up and be with him in heaven. We may go down to the grave and then go up. But nevertheless, we're going to go on, folks. We're going to face this coming year. We're going to do it without fear. We're facing a new year, and nobody knows what this new year is going to bring, do they? Let me ask you a question. Did 2021 go exactly the way you planned it? Did something happen in this past year that you hadn't planned on and that you hadn't counted on? Well, let me ask you another question. Do you have this next year planned out? You have it all set. This is the way things, I'm going to tell on our son, he lives by the calendar. He lives by the calendar and by the clock. And if you're not on the calendar, you're too bad, okay? But sometimes in life, things happen. And things change our calendars, and things change our clocks, and we have to face things just without preparing for them. Things will not go as planned this next year. Over in the book of James, right past the book of Hebrews, James the fourth chapter, James gives us 
a warning to all who just plan out their years and plan the way things are going to go. You look at verse 13, James says, go to now. That phrase, go to now, is an attention getter. He's saying, wake up, folks, listen to this. That's what he's saying. He's saying, go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Look how these people had things planned out. We're going to go to a certain place. We're going to stay there a year. And through our merchandising, we're going to make a huge profit. We're going to do well. Look at verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I'm sure, and I hate to bring this up and use this in this message, but I think it's appropriate. I'm sure a week ago, a young family didn't plan on getting into a tragic automobile accident on their way to church. We don't know what the next hour, the next moment is going to bring. They say, here's what we're going to do. And James says, you don't know what's going to happen. For what is your life? He reminds them of the momentary nature of life. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And that's what our lives are. They're just here and gone. You know, I've lived a few years. I'm not going to announce my age, but I've lived a few years. And it just seemed like yesterday that I was a young man in my 20s. Amen. You know, it just goes by so quickly. And that's what life is. It appears and it's gone. And here's what he says. He says, for that you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if it's God's will, if the Lord will, we shall live and we shall do this or that. We don't know about tomorrow. We sing that song. I don't know about tomorrow. Many things about tomorrow. I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know who holds tomorrow. Mankind has an inbred fear of the future. We're just afraid many times of those things that, we, that we're unaware of. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm told that the old map makers, this in the days before satellites, this in the days before GPS, they would make maps as far out as they had explored. And that's as far as they could make a map. And then many times on those maps, Going out as far as they could explore, they would put, beyond this, there may be dragons. And some of the old maps, if you can find some of those ancient mariner's maps and look on them, you'll see a little sea monster drawn out in the edge of the map where they had not explored to. And so we're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid, they were afraid of the uncharted, and we're afraid of an uncharted day, an uncharted future. Man by nature, as I said, has a fear of the future. It doesn't matter whether you're educated or uneducated, rich or poor. Fear is endemic to all people. Fear has no racial barriers or anything like that. And yet God wants us all to have a future without fear. Somebody said there's four things you need if you're going to have a future without fear. And here's what they are. Contentment. Companionship. Confidence. And comfort. Those four things. And we're going to find all four of those things in the two verses that we read. If we're going to face the new year without fear, the first thing we need is the comfort of God's provisions. The comfort of God's provisions. Let's go back to Hebrews for just a moment and look at what verse 5 says. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's both an instruction and a promise in that verse. And the instruction is this, be content with such things as you have. 
Whatever God allows you to have, whatever God has blessed you with, be content with that. And the promise is this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God gives us instruction and he gives us a promise. Now listen, God may not always give us everything that we want. Because there's some things that are not good for us and sometimes we're not smart enough to know that we don't need them. And so we'll ask God for things and we don't get those things and a lot of people get mad at God over that. No, God may be protecting you by not giving you that thing that you ask for, but I will guarantee you this, God will always give you as a child of God what you need. Amen. I've learned that lesson in over 40 years of pastoring. God will give us the things that we need. Well, what are our needs? What do I need, preacher? What does the Bible say my needs are? Well, a lot of times, and I've shared this account with you before, but a lot of times we're like the little boy I saw in the grocery store. It was getting late in the afternoon, getting near supper time. His mom was checking out, and you know, they always put the candy right there at the checkout, right? And this little boy saw a candy bar, and he wanted it, and mom was saying no. And finally he said, but I need it. And a lot of times we get our needs, and we get our wants confused. And so sometimes God may not give us the things that we're asking for, but what are our needs? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 33, exactly what our needs are. In fact, in that sixth chapter, he tells us what they are. Of course, chapter 6, verse 33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, what are these things that he's talking about in verse 33? Well, just look back for a moment at verse 31. Because right there in verse 31, he says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? That's the, thing he's, that's the things he's calling the needs of life. Food, drink, clothing. And God will supply the needs of his children. I said he may not always supply our wants, but he will supply our needs. These things are the basics of life. But you see, sometimes we fear that those things are not going to be met, they're not going to be satisfied, and that we're going to live lives of discontentment. Do you realize that discontentment is a disease that breeds fear? Discontentment breeds fear. Now the secret of contentment, as a child of God especially, the secret of contentment is not wanting what we do not have. That seems to be the American way today. You know, what's the old saying? We buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't like. Well, that's what we do sometimes. And the American way is just, well, I, I don't need it, but I don't have it, and so I want it. Well, that is not the secret of contentment. In fact, contentment is being grateful for what we do have. Yeah. Do you realize that our standard of living in this nation is so much higher than the rest? Of, why do people want to come here? We have a higher standard of living than most of the rest of the world. You say, I'm not a millionaire. Do you realize in some countries you'd be considered a millionaire? You'd be considered very wealthy. So we need to learn to be content with what God has allowed us to have. Contentment is not having what we want. Contentment is wanting what we have. Now I had a conversation of two men. One is named Muir, the other is named Harriman. Mr. Muir was a naturalist. The Muir Woods, in California, up near San Francisco, where the giant redwoods are, were named for Mr. Muir. Mr. Harriman was a railroad magnate, and he had millions of dollars. And so one day, Mr. Muir said to Mr. Harriman, I'm richer than you are. And Mr. Harriman said, well, how so? Mr. Muir said, I have everything I want, you don't. 
He was satisfied with what God had given him. He was satisfied with what he had. Have you ever noticed how many times the rich and famous and the wealthy are never satisfied? They don't want, they just want more. They want more and more and more. But the scripture says, be content with such things as you have. Be happy, be thankful for what God has given you. And in fact, what it says is in another place, having therefore food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Now, do you realize something that the Lord left out when he said that? He didn't even say anything about a house, did he? He said, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. In another place, he said, foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus came to this earth and lived among men and did not even own a home. Do you have food? Do you have clothes? There it is. Be content. Be thankful. Be content with such things as you have. I heard about two tears talking one day. One tear asked the other, who are you? The first tear said, well, I'm the tears of a young girl who loved a man and lost him, did not marry him. And asked, who are you? And the other tear said, I'm the tears of a young woman who met that man and married him. So be careful about what you want. Be careful of not being satisfied with what God has given you. Be grateful for what you have. We confuse luxury with necessity today in our society. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to share these verses with you that God gives us through Timothy, through the Apostle Paul instruction. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, be content with what you have and be godly with it. Okay, serve God with it. Godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. The material things of this life cannot fill the deepest needs of your heart. You know what Ecclesiastes, we're studying normally, we've taken a break from Ecclesiastes, but you know what Ecclesiastes 5.10 says? Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says this, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. If he gets silver, he loves silver. If he gets silver, he's not going to be satisfied. with. He's going to want more silver or he's going to want something else. When have you ever heard a wealthy person say, I have enough riches. I've made enough money. I don't need to make any more money for the rest of my life. And I'm just not going to work. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here on what I have and live out the rest of my life on what I have. Do you realize that whatever money, whatever possessions that we own are going to be left behind at the grave? I heard about two people talking, a wealthy man who had lots of real estate holdings, he had a lot of stocks and so forth, had passed away and these two people were at his funeral and one asked the other, said uh, how much did he leave? And the other one said he left it all. You will not find a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the cemetery. It's going to be left behind. Be grateful for what we have. There's a reason the Lord said in Luke chapter 12 verse 16 take heed of covetousness. Be careful about covetousness. Beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. What is covetousness? Covetousness is an innate desire to have more. 
Now, if God blesses you with more, be thankful for more. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't work and try to earn a better wage and better living. But whatever God gives you. See, covetousness is willing to sacrifice everything in order to get more. Covetousness would be willing to leave behind the truth and deny God and go out and live in the world and like the world in order to gain more of the world. That's covetousness. In fact, in Colossians, the third chapter, the apostle Paul compared covetousness to what? He said, covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is a form of idol worship. And Jesus said, beware of covetousness. Learn this, both the secret and the source of contentment in this life is God. He is the secret and he is the source. True contentment's found in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse four, often gets misquoted and misinterpreted. What does Psalm 37 verse 4 says? Delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And people say, well, that means if I'll just delight myself in God, I can have diamonds, I can have gold, I can have silver. That's not what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire. Well, what is the desire of your heart? Delight yourself in the Lord. The Lord is. If you will delight yourself in the Lord, you know what he'll do? He will fill that void in your heart. He'll fill that God-shaped vacuum, if you will, in your life, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen, everything around us is going to change. Children grow up and they move away. Wealth may disappear. Somebody said money talks. Yes, it does. It says goodbye. But wealth may disappear. You may lose your home. You may lose your job. You may lose your physical health. You may lose and ultimately will lose your physical life. And that's why the Lord says, be content with what you have. Be content with what God gives you. Be content if you have food and raiment because here's what he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We just need to be happy with what God gives us. The secret to a future without fear is contentment and contentment is in our Lord's provision in what he has given to us. Over in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. If you're familiar with that verse, the Apostle Paul is in prison. If anybody had a reason to gripe and complain, the Apostle Paul would. Why is he in prison? For preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's sitting there in prison and listen to what he says beginning in verse 11 in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now I want you to note in those verses three things Paul says. Verse 11, he says, I have learned. Verse 12, he says, I know. Verse 13, he says, I can do. See, until you learn something, you don't know it. And so Paul had to learn how to be content, but when he learned how to be content, he said, I know some things. I know that I can be abased. I know that I can abound. Some folks are being abased right now. There are people in our world, maybe somebody in here, who's saying, I don't know if I can make it till the next paycheck or not. Some folks are abounding. Some folks have more than they ever thought they'd have. And if you do that, praise God in it and use it to glorify God. But Paul said, I've I've learned and I know, and once he had that knowledge, he said, I can do it. I can serve God. I can be content, and I can do whatever God wants me to do. Basically, what Paul is saying, he said, I'm content in the Lord Jesus. 
I'm thankful. I'm, I'm satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the word content means self-contained. It doesn't mean self-centered. It means self-contained. It's sort of like when they send a spacecraft up. That thing's self-contained because they get up in space. They're not going to be able to run to Walmart and get anything right quick. They are self-contained. And that's what it means to be content. Just be satisfied. Be self-contained. I'm going to tell you this. I would not sell what I have in Jesus Christ for billions and billions of dollars. I would not trade places with Bill Gates. I would not trade places with Elon Musk, the time man of the year this year I just read this morning. I would not trade places with Jeff Bezos or any of those other guys. What I have in the Lord Jesus is worth multiplied millions and even more. He said, be content with such things that you have. Psalm 37 verse 25 says this, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. And I tell you what, that's a guarantee from God. Take away the fear of discontent. Be satisfied with what God gives you. Number two, we're going to go quick and in out. The companionship of his presence. Another fear that we have is being alone. Just being lonely, being left alone. But look at what verse 5 says. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, now watch this. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now I want to know how many of us believe that promise? Oh my goodness, we're in trouble. I'm going to try this again. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. How many of us believe that promise? Amen. Well, that's better. How many of us live like we believe it? You say, I knew that was a set up preacher. <laughs> no, it's true. A lack of love causes depression, and depression brings fear. And we're living in a depressed society today. How many ads do you see on television for medicine for depression? We have so many people that live in our world today that think nobody loves them. Well, listen, if you're watching by way of live stream, or if you hear this morning, you feel that way, I tell you what, God loves you. Amen. Jesus Christ loves you. I'll speak for myself. I don't know about anybody. I think I can speak for this group that's here this morning. But I love you folks. And a desire to see you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior if you don't know him as Savior. Jesus said, we need to get a hold of it. I will never leave thee. No matter what happens, I have a companion beside me. I told the Sunday school class, sometimes when I have problems, and I will do this. I may even be in Walmart or somewhere like that and do this. Problem, somebody calls me or whatever and there's a problem. I'll just turn and i say, Lord, you've got this. I can't handle it. You say, are you losing it preaching? No, he's right there. He walks with me. He talks with me. A long life's narrow way, this song says. Jesus is right there beside me. He will never leave me. That must be the most encouraging verse in the Bible. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Psychiatrists say the greatest need that we have in this world is to love and to be loved. And Jesus loves us. The Lord has said, I'll never leave you. Lack of love causes depression, and we're living in that depressed society. Scholars say there are five negatives in this verse. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but scholars say there are five negatives in this verse that say, I'll never leave thee. And I want to give you an expanded idea of what this verse is saying, all right? 
God is saying, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Now, folks, you can take that to the bank. Somebody put it this way. God's saying, I will never, no, not ever, no, never leave you nor forsake you. That ought to take the fear out of future. God's never going to leave us. God is never going to desert us. The companionship of his presence is forever and forever and forever. Nothing, the scripture says in Romans chapter 8, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. People may come and people may go, but God's going to love us. Heard about a young preacher that was studying Greek trying to explain this verse to an old woman in a country church. He talked about those five thoughts there. She said, well, Sonny, God may have to say it to you Greek boys five times, but once is enough for me. <laughs> God will never leave us. His presence will see us through when we're discouraged, when there are heartaches. And folks, there are going to be heartaches. Just because you're a child of God doesn't mean you're not ever going to have problems, not ever going to have heartaches. There will be heartaches. There's going to be some sickness. There's going to be some hospital bills. There's going to be some funerals that we have to endure, that we have to go through. But God's presence will see us through. When we're lonely, his presence will cheer us up and there's going to be some lonely times. Listen to Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He'll never forsake you. When we're worried, his presence will calm us down. You say, do you get worried, preacher? I get highly concerned. Other people I know get worried, okay? <laughs> when we're worried, his presence will calm us down. When we're tempted, his presence will see us through and bring us out on the other side. He has promised to be with us through thick and thin, through good and bad, through rich and poor. He has promised to be with us at all times and that ought to remove the fear of loneliness from us. And then when you need confidence, and verse five is the confidence of his presence. The confidence of his presence. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He hath said is emphatic here. It's saying that he himself has said, God has said, very emphatically. It's his promise. It cannot fail. This is the God who cannot lie. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. His omnipotence is the answer when we don't have strength. His omnipresence is the answer for us when we are lonely. His omniscience is the answer for us when we don't know what to do. We just depend upon his strength and his presence and his wisdom and his knowledge. He hath said the confidence of his promise, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Someone said one of these days, someone's going to pick this up and someone's going to read it, and they're going to believe it, and then it's going to make all the rest of us ashamed of ourselves. You know how we read the Bible so often? We window shop through the Bible. Man asked his wife one time, says, why do you call it shopping? You never buy anything. She said, why do you call it fishing? You never catch anything. But a lot of times we window shop through the Bible. We'll go here and there and we'll find a verse that we like. So I like that. We may commit it to memory. We may write it down, put it on the bathroom mirror. That verse is good. I'm going to remember that verse. But 
we need to act on those verses. We need to believe those verses. We need to put those verses in practice in our daily lives. This is the confidence that we have. He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, and that ought to be sufficient for us. This is the word of God, and God has said. There's a song we sing. I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He hath said, Jesus Christ, God hath said. And we have that comfort and we have that confidence of his promise and then finally we have the comfort of his protection. Look at verse 6. The comfort of his protection so that we may boldly say underline that word boldly you know we have too much timidity in the Lord's churches and in the Lord's people today so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We worry a lot today. We worry about crime, you know. It seems to be getting out of hand. Even here in our own city, we've had, in recent weeks, we've had several murders. One that, uh, as far as I know, they don't even have any suspects. Just somebody rolled up at a house and killed two people and rolled away, you know. We worry about crime. We worry about terrorism, don't we? When's the next strike coming? I'll be honest with you. Every time we roll around to a September 11th, I'm thinking, uh, Somebody going to try to revive what happened years ago? We even worry, and I guess the biggest worry right now is about COVID. Now it's Omicron. So is this going to be the last variant? No, they'll come up with another one. I don't know what it is, but they'll come up with another one. But we worry about things like that. Here's what I know. God has said he will never leave us and never forsake us, and we must not fear what men do, okay? That's what the Word of God says. This is security, and this kind of security and this kind of courage comes from knowing God, from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. A little boy on the way to school might be picked on by a bully and make him afraid to walk to school. But if his big brother and his daddy are walking with him, he's not afraid anymore, is he? Here's what God's saying. Look, I'm with you. Look, I'm with you. Somebody said, well, what if they kill me? They may. God's allowed his martyrs to suffer, hasn't he? To suffer death. That could possibly happen. But what a privilege to die for Jesus. What a privilege to give your life for the Lord. That doesn't mean God's lost control. God's always in control. And we trust him. We depend upon him. One of Satan's biggest errors is martyring God's people. Remember, the, if you're familiar with church history, in the days when persecution came upon the Lord's churches, they didn't wipe them out. They grew them. <laughs> Satan messed up. And he'll do it again today. You hear somebody who stands for the Lord and they give their life for the Lord. That is a witness. That is a testimony of their faith. There is one fear that ought to remove every fear in our lives. You know what that is? That's the fear of God. Amen. The fear of the Lord, the scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom. I heard about one individual. They said he feared man so little 
because he feared God so much. Because he trusted God. The people that are being written to here in the book of Hebrews are facing persecution. And many of them are ready to throw in the towel. They're ready just to quit. And the writer of Hebrews, I think it was the Apostle Paul, I could be wrong, but the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them not to quit, not to give in, not to give up. There's a song called How Firm a Foundation and has these words, the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, he will not, he will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no never, no never forsake. The confidence of his presence and the comfort of his promise that he's going to be with us and that we don't have to fear of what man should do. I'm going to close. I'm going to ask you this. What's your hope for the coming year? Where is your security for the coming year? You know, the security industry is a big industry these days. Security cameras and alarms and all things like that. I've got the best security system in the world. I've got Jesus. I've got God, folks. Now, I've never lived where there are hurricanes. Brother Sean was talking about that in Sunday school this morning. He has. But here's what I'm told. That when they get where, by the way, somebody said he'd rather live where there are hurricanes rather than tornadoes. Because you get at least a week's warning sometimes that a hurricane's coming. You may get 20 minutes with a tornado. You know. But what I understand is when people realize or know they're informed a hurricane is coming, they'll get out and tie things down that they don't want to lose. But sometimes a hurricane is so powerful, not only do they lose what they tied down, they lose what they tied it down to. Sometimes what we're tied to blows away, folks, if we're not careful. And the only way to be sure that what you're tied to is not going to be blown away is this. Tie yourself to Jesus Christ. Jesus never will blow away. Regardless of how powerful the storm might be, Jesus will not blow away. One of my favorite songs that we sing hint, hint, is called the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We're standing facing a new year. By the way, did you know that January is named after the Roman god Janus? This was a two-faced god that looked both backwards and forwards. And that's why January, I guess, became named January. But as we stand on the threshold of New Year, folks, let us first look back. Let's look at this past year. Look at our faithfulness or lack thereof. Look at the blessings God has given us in our lives. Look at what we have done for the Lord or maybe what we have failed to do for the Lord that we needed to do for the Lord and commit ourselves to a greater service to Him and then let us look forward. Let us look forward with anticipation. This may be the year, 2022 may be the year that Jesus comes back and we pray that it is. You know, there's only one hope for this world and that's the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything else is going to fall apart, come apart, you know, something's going to happen. But the only hope is the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus may come this year, but if he doesn't, you say, do you know whether he's coming or not? I sure don't. But if he doesn't come this year, let us look forward and say, here's what I need to be doing as a child of God. Here's what I need to be doing. as a Here's what we as a church need to be doing on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever basis 
in our service of the Lord and commit ourselves to that service of God. Had a preacher friend that had a sign in his church one time. And I finally asked him what, it, I didn't understand it right at first, but I finally asked him and I, I said, that's good. The sign just said, be true blue for 52. What does that mean? I'm going to be here. I'm going to be in my place when we have services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever we have services, I'm going to be true blue for the next 52 weeks. I'm going to be faithful to God through this church. And that'd be a good commitment to make.